Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to start with verse 36 and go to verse 50. We are going to talk about in this audio the anointing of Christ's feet by a sinful woman in the house of Simon the leper. And in the middle of that story, Jesus gives a short, par- the, a short parable, the parable of two debtors. What's happened before here in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35 in the previous audio, we had a message from John the Baptist to Jesus and then Jesus giving a eulogy over John the Baptist. After that happened, a couple of events happened in Matthew, which we're skipping over. Jesus pronounced woes upon Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum, three cities in Galilee who didn't repent. And then he gave the little teaching of, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is in Matthew 11, verses 20 through 30. We're skipping that. There are no parallel passages. Now we get to here in Luke where the sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet at the house of Simon the Pharisee. So let's get started then in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, why would a Pharisee ask Jesus to eat with him? You know, the Pharisees hated Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee, as we'll see as we go through this, through this story, he was not nice to Jesus. He didn't afford Jesus the customary civilities that one would afford a prominent rabbi. So many people believe, such as the NIV Study Bible and John Gill, they believe that the motive of Simon would have, was to entrap Jesus rather than to learn from Jesus. And I believe that's true. Well, if the motive was to entrap him, John Gill points out, Jesus showed, Jesus showed no fear about that. He walked straight into the house. Jesus was a courageous man, extremely courageous. That is an opinion. Uh, Jameson Fawcett and Brown gives an opposite opinion that Simon the Pharisee really wanted to learn about Jesus. Objectively, he was more like Nicodemus, the Pharisee Nicodemus, who was willing to learn. But whatever that might, whatever the case might be, Jesus enters into Simon the Pharisee's house. Now, this account of the washing of Jesus' feet and the anointing of his feet is often confused with and ascribed to three other scriptures, scriptures that relate the story of Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus. The two stories get conflated. I don't know why people do that. This is in the Capernaum ministry, and Mary of Bethany is down there near Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. The woman here is a sinner. Mary of Bethany, as far as I'm concerned, I never heard her being called a sinner. So let me read those scriptures to you, the other scriptures. Matthew 26, 6, when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, a man who had a serious skin disease, and there's your problem right there. There was a Simon of Bethany who had a serious skin disease. Well, you know, the Hebrews named everybody the same first name, and it was hard to distinguish them because they didn't use the last name convention that we use today. But I believe this was a different Simon, Simon the leper. We're talking about, in this passage in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50, we're talking about Simon the Pharisee. Mark 14.3 says this, While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had a serious skin disease, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. You will notice the anointing here is on his head and not on his feet, as in Luke 7, in the house of Simon the Pharisee. John 12, verse 3, Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance 
of the oil. Now here you have a problem because Mary of Bethany anoints Jesus' feet, whereas in Matthew, she excuse me, in um, in Mark fourteen three, she anointed Jesus' head, and so people say, see there, this is the same as in the house of Simon the Pharisee, she anointed his feet. Well, that's one of these harmonization problems, but I don't think this one's so hard. I think they're separate events. I think Mary probably anointed his head and his feet. It's the easiest way to solve that. A.T. Robinson's famous harmony has the two anointings as separate events, and that's the way I'm going to take it. Now, we need to know something here that Simon the Pharisee did not treat Jesus with a typical civility and ceremony commonly given to guests, as John Gill points out. We drop down to verse 44 in Luke 7, and we read this. Turning to, to the woman, he, Jesus, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no water for my feet, Simon. So that's, and everybody, every host gave his guests water for their feet because they walked around in sandals in the dirt all the time. So John Gill says, no civility treated to Jesus. And Jesus, I think, confirms that when he says, hey, you didn't give me any water for my feet. Sort of a violation of Eastern hospitality, which I understand back then was serious business. Luke chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. And a woman in the town... The town is not named, by the way. We don't know where this is. I'm assuming it's somewhere in Capernaum. Uh, excuse me, in Galilee, somewhere in Galilee. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. Now, who was this sinner? Well, the NIV Study Bible, and John Gill says she was a prostitute. Adam Clark denies that and said, no, she was just a heathen sinner in general. Well, it makes the story better. She's a prostitute. So we're going to say she's a prostitute, although it must be noted we can't prove that. We just assume that, as some commentators do. She must have heard Jesus teach somewhere. That's why she was so shaken with emotion and love for, for Jesus, because she heard Jesus talk about forgiveness, and she knew she was a sinner. She must have repented and wanted to live a new life, according to the NIV Study Bible, and she knew that Jesus would forgive her, and I think that's absolutely true. Now, this sinner, this, and we're going to call her a prostitute, it's not Mary Magdalene. Everybody says Mary Magdalene's a sinner. Why? Because Magdala was famous for prostitutes. That's like saying every woman in Haiko, China, is a prostitute because there's so many prostitutes in that city. Not all women are prostitutes just because they're in a city that has a lot of prostitutes. Here's a quote from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown in italics. His italics. There is no ground whatever for the popular notion that this woman was Mary Magdalene. John Gill agrees with that. Adam Clark agrees with that. Adam Clark points out many equate the two, but there is no grounds for doing that. Let's, so let's don't do it. This is not Mary Magdalene. This, Mary Magdalene was the first person that saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. She may or may not have been a prostitute. There is no proof that she is. I think her reputation has been ruined, just like Ty Cobbs has been ruined by a bunch of rumors because he had a bad press agent at the end of his life. So... This woman, this pro this sinner, probably a prostitute, she comes into the house. Now, you wonder how she got in the house. Probably she just came in and says, I have some oil for the rabbi, and the servants let her in, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, she got in there, and she sees Jesus lying at the table, reclining at the table, as they normally did when they ate back then. Now, as Jesus had his head uh, at the table, his feet were sticking out from at the end of the table, most probably, and that's how she... That's why she started to anoint his feet, because they were there, they were available. It's my speculation that she didn't, she might have wanted to anoint his head, but couldn't get there to do it. 
And so, in fact, the NIV study Bible points out she may have originally intended to anoint Jesus' head. And, and my speculation is that the reason she changed her mind and anointed his feet is because she couldn't reach Jesus' head because he was amongst the guests there at the table. And also it would have interrupted Jesus' meal. And so she very humbly anointed his feet. Now she anointed it with some kind of fragrant oil. The NIV has perfume. The NIV study Bible says it was a perfumed ointment. It was in an alabaster jar, which is a long-necked globular jar, round jar with a, a long, skinny neck, according to the NIV study Bible. It's made out of alabaster, which I didn't know what that was until just a minute ago. I looked it up. Alabaster is a fine-grained, translucent form of gypsum, typically white, often carved into ornaments. Gypsum is what they make plaster and wallboard out of, the kind of powdery white stuff, except this alabaster is kind of... Uh, translucent. It's not abalone, which is a beautiful seashell. It's alabaster. For what that's worth. And anyway, she anoints him with tears. Now, it was the custom to wash feet with water before anointing with oil, which makes sense. Get the dirt off before you put the oil on there. The woman substituted her, her tears for the water. We go to Luke 7, verse 39. When the Pharisees who had invited him, when the Pharisees, excuse me, who had invited him, that's Simon, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, why did Simon think that Jesus might be a prophet? He suggests that if he were a prophet, because so many people were saying that Jesus was the prophet, as John Gill points out. They were referring to Moses in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18, the prophet who was going to come after Moses and going to speak like Moses. That's the prophet that, that the common people knew about. And everybody's saying, Jesus is Jesus the prophet? And Simon's saying, this guy ain't the prophet because no prophet is going to touch a prostitute in his house or going to let a prostitute touch him. She was touching him by washing his feet with her hair. Now, how did Simon expect Jesus to know? Because he was a prophet, he was supposed to use a prophetic gift to know that she was a sinner? That's presumptuous. Prophets don't know everything about everybody, so I don't think Simon was dumb enough to think that just because Jesus was a prophet, he could prophesy anything. I think what he was saying is if he had the high honor and reputation of a prophet, and and since he probably knew her from because of her reputation in town, as John Gill suggests, that he would know that a prophet would never associate with a prostitute, just in the natural. In Jesus' humanity, he would know that, hey, this woman's a prostitute and you're a prophet. What have you got to do with that? Well, the prostitute. So Simon concluded Jesus was not a prophet. So here you go. This is a Pharisee who didn't afford Jesus hospitality and now who is saying that Jesus is a false prophet. The Pharisees believed that even the touch of a prostitute would defile somebody. In fact, even the touch of a common person who was not a Pharisee would defile somebody. The Pharisees were very touchy. This is according to John Gill. We go to Luke 7, verse 40 through 43. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. Jesus then begins to speak in verse 41. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii is a day's wages. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he, Jesus, told him, Simon. Well, that was an easy parable. Now, Simon might not have understood the application of the parable when he so quickly answered. It might have hit him later when Jesus explains the parable to him in the next couple of verses. But it's very obvious 
somebody who's been forgiven a big debt is going to love his creditor a lot more than a debtor who has been forgiven a small debt. Now we've got a little problem here. The Pharisee said to himself in verse 39, this man, if he were a prophet, would know what kind of a woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. He said that to himself. He didn't say it to Jesus. He didn't say it out loud. And so in verse 40, when Jesus replies to him, the question arises, well, how did he know what Simon the Pharisee was thinking? Well, there's two options. He could have prophetically known it through his divinity or through the Holy Spirit working with his humanity. In other words, supernaturally. Or he could have just naturally looked at his face. Jesus could have observed Simon's face and his manner. And Jesus would, of course, naturally know how Pharisees felt about prostitutes. Now, this is the the old theological problem of what does Jesus do in his humanity? What does he do in his divinity? And it's really funny. John Gill, anytime something like this comes up, John Gill always says it's out of his divinity. I don't know why he does that. I tend to say that it, he operated as a human being until it was absolutely necessary. For example, I su- I suspect that when he was about to get thrown off the cliff at Nazareth, that he operated in his divinity to get, to get out of there. Somehow worked a miracle to, to save himself. But here, I think he, was, he could just look at Simon and say, uh, you just look at the Pharisee's face, you know what's going on. So in the parable, it's very easy to interpret. The creditor represents God. The 500 denarii that are owed to, the, to God, to the creditor, or the prostitute, she owes a lot because she sinned a lot. The 50 uh, denarii is the Simon the Pharisee who didn't sin as much as the Pharisee, but he still sinned. It could be Simon the Pharisee. It could be just somebody in general. But I should point out here, this shows that some sins are worse than others, and some sins have worse punishment than the others. There's this myth floating around in Christianity. All sins are equal. No, they are not. They're equal in the sense that they can, that even a little sin will get you to hell just as fast as a big one would. But the punishment in hell is different for the bigger sins. Do you really think Adolf Hitler and Paul Pot and Mao Zedong are sitting around there at the uh, on the suburbs of hell? No, they're in the deepest pits of hell. Luke 7, verse 44 through 47. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. A kiss, of course, was a normal mode of greeting back then. This man didn't even greet Jesus as a, just as an ordinary guest. And he was the great rabbi, just an ordinary guest. He didn't treat him like. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil. Again, guests were anointed oftentimes so they could clean the, the mess, the dust out of their hair. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. As I said before, that lack of water, that was a minimal gesture of hospitality, as the NIV Study Bible says. And Gil, John Gill says, Jesus, as a guest, didn't even get the usual civilities. John Jameson Fawcett and Brown has a speculation. They say that Jesus actually was acting here as if he were hurt by, the, by these slights. I don't think he was hurt. I think he was used to these people. He knew how they were. I don't think that bothered him that much. I don't know. It's an interesting question. He had reason to be, but I don't think he was. Now, why didn't Simon not wash his feet, Jesus' feet with water and anoint his head with oil and not kiss Jesus? Adam Clark says Simon could have been showing contempt, which I believe is what was happening. Or it could have just, he, Simon could have been forgetful. How do you forget all that? You don't kiss him, you don't wash his feet, you don't put oil on his head. I don't think he was forgetful. 
I think he was being a pharisaical SOB in my humble opinion. By the way, anointing the head with oil is as common was as common among the Jews as washing the face with water is with us today, as Adam Clark says. This was a, just a common thing. This was not a big deal if it's done as a social amenity. But ah, here, the woman, the sinful woman, it was a big deal to her. She was not anointing him as a guest. She was anointing him as the king, the prophet, and the priest, the one who could forgive her for her sins. Now notice that the forgiveness is what produced the love. As the NIV study Bible and Adam Clark and Jameson Foster and Brown say, the forgiveness produced the love. Not the other way around. Jesus' love did not cause, excuse me, the love of the woman for Jesus did not cause Jesus to forgive the woman. The fact that Jesus had forgiven the woman caused her to love Jesus. And of course that should be the same with us today. We don't we don't love God enough to get him to do anything for us. We don't love Jesus enough to get him to do anything for us. It's everything he's done for us makes us respond in love to him. And that's why despite all the obstacles that a Christian faces in the world today, that's why there's so many of us and why there's going to be more of us is because we know that our sins have been forgiven. Whereas the average worldling doesn't even know he's a sinner. He thinks he's a good guy while he goes out and fornicates with his secretary. Luke chapter 7, verse 48 through 50. Then he said to her, this is Jesus, said to the sinful woman. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now that's how you have peace. Peace with God. We were enemies of God before we were saved and we're now friends of God after we're saved as, as, as per Paul in Romans. Go in peace. That's how you want peace. That's how you get peace. If you want peace, you want, you want to experience peace, you got to have your sins forgiven. Now when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, I don't think he was speaking generically about sins in general. I think he's referring to the fact that she was a prostitute. Now, when he said that, this, of course, let Simon know that Jesus knew the woman was a prostitute. So Jesus is, is not trying to run from the fact that he was dealing with a very disreputable woman, and he didn't care because he didn't care about the traditions of the Pharisees. He cared more about people who were burdened down with sin. So he'd already mentioned the fact that in the parable of the two debtors that the one who, who has sinned a lot and is forgiven a lot loves a lot, but now he makes it explicit. In this verse, he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. This, of course, sounds just like what he said to the paralytic lit down through the roof in the house at Capernaum. He says, what, he says, what's it easier to do? Say, pick up your pellet and walk or say your sins are forgiven. Say, your sins are forgiven, pick up your pellet and walk. He said the same thing to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus had power to forgive sins even before the cross. Now, how and what tone of voice was this question asked by the people sitting at the table? Who is this man who even forgives sins? It could have been that way, thinking Jesus was blasphemous. What kind of a blasphemous person would act like he's God and forgive sins? By the way, this is a good verse for those who say, Oh, Jesus was a good teacher. The liberal Protestants, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. He had good ethics. Well, no, he wasn't a good teacher. He was the Son of God. He openly and publicly said that he forgave sins. Good teachers don't go around saying they forgive sins. If they were a good teacher who said that, they would immediately be locked up in an insane asylum. He wasn't just a good teacher. All right, so maybe they were thinking he was blasphemous, but maybe they were just marveling and asking a question like this. Who is this man who even forgives sins? I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that exactly how they said it. Were they just marveling in objective wonder in a non-condemning 
voice, or were they condemning him for blasphemy? Hard to say. Now notice that Jesus commends the sinful woman's faith. He says, your faith has saved you. This is one of the many examples where Jesus responds positively to one's faith. Now, it is unfortunate that the quasi-Christian science word-faith movement, Copenhagenism, has perverted the word faith. And I, I've got a video, an audio, excuse me, on YouTube going into the errors of the faith message. I don't believe in that nonsense. But I will tell you something. Every heresy takes a truth and perverts it. And one truth is, is that Jesus responds to our faith. He expected us to believe in him. Oh, you of little faith, he was constantly saying. Even the Peter who walked on the water sank a little bit at the end. You of little faith. How come you didn't believe me? How come you couldn't cast that demon out? That paralytic demon who's rolling around as he comes off the Mount of Transfiguration. You of little faith. He's constantly saying that. He expected people to believe. And then when he sees the centurion... Uh, who wants to have his son healed at a distance, and he says, I haven't seen such faith as this in Israel. He was constantly talking about faith, belief in him. He wanted people to believe in him, and he expected his disciples to believe in him. I can't tell you, as I look around and look at the American culture falling apart and falling into the cesspool, I can't tell you how often I think I think about this. I've got to believe you, God, that you are not worried about this. You're going to take care of it. He expects us to believe him. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. The story of the, of the sinful woman in Simon the Pharisee's house anointing Jesus' feet. In our next audio, we're going to start Jesus' second tour of Galilee in Luke chapter 8, starting in verses 1 through 3. I hope you enjoyed this audio, and we'll see you next time.